When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you too long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. I've been working at home since the pandemic started. Due to the small nature of the apartment, I work in the living room near the big window that looks out at the apple tree. It's a garden-level apartment, and I enjoy early morning sunlight as I sip tea and get started on the day's work. Occasionally, I'll look up to see the squirrels running around the apple tree. In the afternoon, I enjoy a flock of chickadees that come pecking around. One afternoon, late as the twilight was coming on, I looked up and jumped. There was a face of a black cat looking in the window at me. The first teller for this episode is Catherine Fairley. Catherine passed last year, but for 35 years, she traveled around the world gathering epics, myths, legends, histories, folk, and fairy tale. You can hear all of Catherine's work on Spotify, but this story is from her album, Catherine Tells Celtic and is the tale, Sir Garwaf. Alas, my love, thou dost me wrong, to cast me off so discourteously, for I have loved thee so long. In the twelfth century there was a baron of Brittany by the name of Garwaf. He was a favorite of his king and queen for his sincere loyalty. Sir Garwaf had an extraordinary appearance with intense green-gold eyes and hair falling to his shoulders prematurely gray. He was most noble of bearing, kind and handsome and beloved of everyone who knew him. He was married to Alay, a lady of great beauty, and he loved her and she him. All was well with them, excepting that he disappeared with disturbing regularity. No one knew what became of him, and he forbade any to speak of it. This began to cause his wife grief so great that she at last braved his anger and said, My dear sweet love, I would dare ask thee something. Garwaf drew a lay to him and embraced her. Lady, ask whatever thou will. When thou art gone, my heart is so heavy that I shall surely die if thou dost not tell me where thou goest and what becomes of thee. We have promised never to speak of this. But such a fear comes over me, I think thou must have another love. Ah, lady, I swear I have no love but thee. In God's name, do not ask me this, Alay. If I tell thee, I will come to great harm and lose thy love as well. But Alay persisted and cried and coaxed until he confessed all. Since I was a young man, it comes over me at times, as it has with all the men in my family before me, to change. I feel the change coming, and going to the deepest part of the forest, and remove my clothes and hide them, 
Soon I am a wolf, clothed only in my own gray fur, and I live off the prey I kill for several days. Then I become myself again and come home, but never fear I could never hurt thee, nor let thou see me as a wolf. She was, of course, astonished and asked him many questions. He was reluctant to speak, but finally told her what she wanted to know. When I feel the changes upon me, I go to a chapel at the edge of the forest. There I leave my clothes under a broad rock. I have told no one of this, for if I were not able to don my own clothes again, I would be trapped as a wolf. At last Alay seemed satisfied and said, Thou needst not hide anything from me, for I love thee more than the whole world. But in truth her heart had turned to ice, and straightway she began to consider how she might be rid of him. Alas, my love, thou dost me wrong, to cast me off so discourteously. Now there lived nearby a knight, who had long loved the wife of Garwaf, and he had been quite open about his affection, and served her devotedly. But Alay had been loyal, and not returned his affections. Now she summoned him. Friend, rejoice, what thou hast wished is now thine. I offer thee my love and all I possess. Make me thy mistress, for I have need of thy protection. And she told him all, how it was with her husband, and that her husband's clothing could be found under the broad rock by the forest chapel. When next he transforms, bring them to me, and I am thine. He accepted her warmly and gave her his pledge. For I have loved thee so long, delighting in thy company. When next Garwaf disappeared into the woods, his faithless wife sent for her knight. Bring his clothing to me, so that Garwaf may be trapped in the form of a wolf, never more to cause me such fear. And they hid away the clothing, and the neighbor knight at last made his lady love his own. It was some time before questions began to be asked, for the household was used to the disappearance of its master. There was a search, of course, but no trace of Garwaf was ever found. Soon it was accepted that he was dead, and the neighbor knight took a lay, whom he had loved for so long. A year later the king and queen were hunting in the forest when the hounds caught scent of prey, and the royal company spent the day in pursuit of a gray wolf. A dozen dogs were about to corner the panting beast and tear him to pieces when the wolf made a tremendous leap over the dogs directly towards the king. To everyone's amazement, the wolf gently laid its head on the king's foot, and those golden eyes looked up into the king's eyes. Call off the hounds. See how this beast possesses intelligence. He seems to beg me for mercy. Let no one harm him. I place him under my protection. As the company returned to the palace, the wolf followed quite tame. The queen thought the wolf a great wonder and loved him dearly, and the king gave orders that he should be fed regularly and well treated. The wolf behaved with such nobility and gentleness, he was soon a favorite of all. The ladies at court got much pleasure in feeding it, and it slept with the barons outside the apartments of the king and queen. After some months, the king called his knights and barons together for an annual celebration. The knights arrived at the castle in their finest attire, including the knight who had married Alay. 
he had not heard the king had a loyal wolf. But as soon as Garwolf saw his enemy, he gave a tremendous snarl and leapt upon him, sinking his teeth into the knight's throat. Green sleeves was all I knew, green sleeves was my delight. The knight's wounds would have been quite serious if the king himself had not pulled the wolf away. The knight left immediately. And the queen remarked, That knight must have wronged the wolf in some way, for our wolf has not so much as laid his ears back to any other man. Months later the king and queen went hunting, and the wolf accompanied them as it did at all times. Allais learned that the king and queen had taken lodging in the region, and thinking to gain their royal favor, she brought a gift. When the wolf saw her, he went mad. None could restrain him. He leapt upon her and tore the nose from her face. With great difficulty, three knights removed the snarling beast to another room. The queen said to her husband, My lord, we have been in the company of this animal daily for many a month. Never has he caused trouble, excepting to this lady and her new husband. There must be a reason for it. Is she not the wife of thy beloved knight Garwolf? He has gone missing, and none knows of his fate. Question her, and make her tell thee what she knows. The king took this advice, and kept the lady prisoner. She was filled with pain and fear, and upon hard questioning she at last told all. Your grace, Garwolf became a wolf for some days each month. I became so frightened when he confessed this, I bade my present husband steal his clothing, for without his clothing he may not return to his human form. Your grace, I fear thy wolf must be your loyal baron, Garwolf. The king demanded her servants bring the clothing for Garwolf. His mantle, tunic, hose, and boots were placed in front of the wolf, and the royal company watched intently. But the wolf seemed to take no notice. The queen suggested, "'Twould not be proper for him to change his form and appear naked before thee, my lord. "'Twould be humiliation for him. "'Can we not leave him in the privacy of thy chamber with the clothing, and then we shall see?' "'The king laid the clothing on his bed, closed the door on the wolf, and left. "'An hour later the king and queen cautiously opened the door to the chamber, "'and there was their old Sir Garwaf, asleep in his own clothes on the royal bed.' The king and queen embraced their loyal friend, and Garwolf told him his amazing story. The king banished the treacherous Allais and her husband from Brittany, where it is said that in a far-off land all of their children were born lacking a nose. Sir Garwolf was once again beloved master in his own castle, and the king and queen forbade the harming of grey wolves in their kingdom. This lay was composed by the queen, and told and sung by the bards of Brittany, that all might remember the loyal knight Garwolf. Green sleeves my heart my own, and who but my lady green sleeves. Today's fairy tale sponsor is Pied Piper's Music School. There are pests aplenty in this world, and Pied Piper's Music School will teach you the musical skills to lead them away from gentle populations. Whatever your instrument of choice, flute, guitar, melodica, or kazoo, this music school will lead you through the tunes that tempt away crowds of rats, cats, frogs, dogs, 
and Las Coachella attendees. The music school also offers classes in dressing for the part, hosiery and comfortable shoes required, and classes in negotiation and contract so you get paid for the work you do. Pied Piper's Music School. Play pests away to a new payday. This episode is also brought to you by the new Magic Bean Patreon supporter, Amanda McKenzie. Amanda has the unique ability to catch things right before they fall. This might seem like a simple gift, but you'd be surprised to know that 344 cups of coffee and tea have not been spilled, and there are at least three children who were not dropped because of her quick and sure hands. Amanda is also a generous supporter of storytelling, and will be getting a postcard in the mail this December. All patrons from the Magic Beans to the Seven League Boots get a Story Story postcard four times a year. The postcards feature one of the delightful fairy tale sponsor images. Would you like to get a postcard from the podcast? If you sign up as a patron at any level, you will get one in the mail this December, wherever you are in the world. Become a patron by going to patreon.com slash story story podcast or story story podcast.com. A big thank you to the patrons of the podcast. You are the cozy socks on cold winter days. I stared at the cat. The cat stared back. I waited for it to move or lose interest, but it seemed to find watching me the most interesting thing at that moment. I tried to go back to finishing up my emails, but have you ever tried to concentrate with something staring at you? I kept looking at it from the side of my eye and was just about ready to go outside and confront it when a co-worker got on a call with me. I spoke with her keeping an eye on the cat and then realized another cat was sitting right next to it. I watched the two cats turn towards each other and I swear they were whispering. And then, I'm sure I'm not making this up, one of the cats pretended to type while the other cat laughed and laughed. I could hear the me 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 through the window. I think that might be how a cat laughs, I really don't know, but that is what I heard. Just as the conversation with my coworker finished up, the cat stopped laughing and one of them wandered off. Then a few minutes later, the other one wandered off as well. I'm not sure what to make of it, but I have an inkling now what it feels like to be observed as the domesticated homo sapien in her natural habitat. The second teller for this episode is Brenda Wong Aoki. She is a playwright, actor, storyteller. Her work combines Eastern and Western narratives and theatrical traditions. Should you ever get the opportunity to see her or any other storyteller, I would highly recommend it. This is Brenda Wong Aoki telling Twilight Crane. Caro was a kind-hearted peasant who lived high up in the pines in a mountain village far from the capital. One cold, icy day, as Caro was walking through the forest, he heard fluttering in the snow. It was a crane. What's wrong, little crane? asked Caro. 
Its pure white wing was pierced by an arrow. Caro's big, coarse hands gently pulled out the arrow, wiped away the blood, and set the bird free. Time passed, and then late one night, there was a knock on the door of his lonely hut. There, in tattered clothes and no shoes, stood a woman. I have come to be your wife, she said. Then Caro saw that she was shivering. He took her hand and brought her inside the hut, and then he saw that she was beautiful. So this woman, who called herself Tsu, became his wife, and Caro was happier than he had ever dreamed possible. But as we know, two mouths are harder to feed than one. One night, as they sat by the fire, Caro said, Tsu, you're not eating. Here, have my rice. Oh no, I'm not hungry. I'm fasting today. Oh, then I will fast too. And they sat by the fire, staring at the last kernels of rice in Karo's bowl. The next morning, Karo woke up and found that his good wife had set up a loom in the back room of the hut. The other women in the village weave cloth to sell at the market. I too can weave, but you must promise never to look in while I'm weaving. Sue. For three days and three nights she wove. Finally she emerged, pale and thin, with a bolt of cloth. It was soft as a cloud and white as the snow. Caro took it to the market and brought back many gold coins. But the winter stretched on and on and on until one day Sue and Caro found themselves sitting by the fire staring at their empty rice bowls. Are we fasting again? I'm afraid so. We can't fast all winter. Could you? Please. Caro, this is the last time I weave, and you must promise never to look in while I'm weaving. Su-ka, su-ka. For four days and four nights she wove. Su-ka. Finally she emerged, paler and thinner than before with a bolt of cloth that seemed to shimmer with a light all its own. Caro took it to the market and brought back three times as many gold coins. The next day, a traveling merchant stopped by their hut. I am told you are the woman that weaves this fabulous cloth. Tell me, what kind of thread do you use? Did you know that if you took it to the capital, you could make a hundred times as much money? Why, for a mere 60% commission, I could. I see his lips move, but I don't understand the words. Caro, make this man go away. I don't like him. 
Caro led the man away. An hour later, Caro returned. Sue, did you know that if you'd weave just one more time, we'd have hundreds of gold coins, all the rice we could eat? But Caro, I said I was never going to weave again. But we'd be rich. I don't want to be rich. I'm happy the way we are. How can you be happy in this miserable hut? Look at you, rags. You could buy new clothes, hair ornaments, makeup. Sue, you could be beautiful. What's wrong with the way I am? Nothing, but ours is a rare and precious commodity. With an elite clientele which exists only in the capital, even with his 60% commission, Carl, stop it, stop it, stop it! All right, Sue. For four days and four nights she wove. Zuka! Caro listened, overcome with joy. On the fifth day, Zuka! Is anything wrong, Sue? <sighs> Sue! Caro opened the door. <gasps> There, in the room, A pure white crane, smeared with blood, for with its beak it had plucked out its own feathers and placed them in the loom. I was wounded, and you saved me. But now your dear heart has been captured. By the world of men, so I return to the sky. Caro looked down in the snow and saw a stream of silken fabric. It was white, glowing as the stars at night. Through which was woven a single thread of crimson. Thank you for listening to this story story podcast. Show the love. Find Brenda Wong Aoki online at firstvoice.org. Tell her you heard her on the podcast and now want to hear her tell more stories. We're in strange times for performing artists, but art is needed now more than ever. So many storytellers are doing online events, so you, yes you, can see and hear some of your favorite storytellers of the podcast tell stories from the comfort of your own home. These may be different times. But the opportunities to connect with live storytelling are abundant. Go find your favorite tellers from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home. Did you know you can connect with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast, or me at Rachel Ann Harding? You can see the fairy tale sponsor ads on the Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook page. While you're there, let me know the favorite story you have heard, or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor was Katie Knutson. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a cat with green eyes that came up to our window after dark and stared at us.
The music is by Pottington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week, but until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court. Is from her album, Catherine Tells Celtic, and is the tale Sir Gwarf. Garwaf. <laughs> Gwarf? I don't think that's how it goes. All right. Let's do that again. Celtic, not Celtic. Celtic? The debate rages on.